Right, let's uh, let's open with prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for the opportunity we have to come together uh, to worship you, to study your word. Um, Lord, I just pray that you would be with us this morning, that you would uh, just cause us to, to think deeply about the things that we study. Uh, that, Lord, that you would uh, just open our, our minds and our hearts um, to have a fuller understanding of our Lord, uh, to grow in affection, um, and Lord, just to... Um, to be changed um, by your word, by the power of your spirit. And um, God, just that you would be glorified in the study of your word. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right. So we're very near the end of our study of the life of Jesus. Just uh, one more week after this one. Um where we left off last time, uh, Jesus had uh, just been arrested. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna pick up there with the story and and basically be looking at his trial and his crucifixion this morning. Um, so to begin with, uh, John chapter 18, uh, we're gonna look at verses 12 through 14 and then verses 19 through 24, um, beginning in verse 12. Uh, so the band of soldiers and their captain and all the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. And first they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Uh, verse 19, the high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. And Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me uh, what I said to them. Uh, they know what I said. When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? And Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong... Bear witness about the wrong, but, but if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Uh, Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now, one thing that can be slightly confusing here is like, well, is, is Annas the high priest? Is Caiaphas the high priest? And technically, Caiaphas is the is the high priest, uh, but Annas had been the high priest, and then. Um, for many years after no longer being the high priest, basically had charge of the high priest and got whoever he wanted elected to be the high priest. Many of his relatives uh, wound up being high priest uh, during this time. And so he was kind of the, the puppet high priest uh, or the puppet master high priest, as it were. Um, and so he still very much had an influence on things um, and was to some degree viewed as the high priest. Um, what does uh, Jesus' response to Annas highlight here? It highlights his position over the high priest. Okay. It highlights his position of he, he is God. He, like, he is not. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, he's he's uh, certainly a higher authority than, than Annas is. Um, anything else? He's asking him, like, 
It's like, why don't you why don't you go talk to the people I talked to? I was I was saying everything in public. Why are you asking me now? Is there anything else that that, that Jesus might be highlighting? Is there some degree of um, just a, a miscarriage of justice going on with the with the trials? Um, that they're you know basically doing everything in secret. They're they're doing it at night. They're um, they're keeping everything they're keeping everything private. You know, Jesus is like, hey, I was doing everything in public, and he basically said the same thing just shortly before when he was arrested. Right? It's like, why are you coming out here and arresting me at night? I was in the temple all the time speaking publicly. Um, so I think Jesus is, in a sense, part of what he's doing is he's highlighting, you know, just the the injustice of the way that the trial is being conducted. Um, his statements are all on public record. Um, they don't need to grab him in the middle of the night and go and try to get him to confess to something. Um, he's been speaking plainly, um, but they've never been able to take any of his public statements and actually use them against him. Um, what about uh, the exchange between Jesus and the officer? I mean, Jesus has questioned why Annas is even asking these questions and um, he gets struck. It's, you know, it's like, is this how you answer the high priest? But then, of course, Jesus responds. And it's like, hey, um, what I said was wrong. Say, say what it is. But if not, then why'd you strike me? Again, it's pointing out that miscarriage of justice, mm-hmm. miscarriage of, of the position of holding. Yeah, yeah. So basically, Annas and his officers are just lording it over they're just um, exercising their brute force authority rather than following what's actually right and just. They're just like, basically just like, hey, you, you answer the way we want or we're going to beat you up. Um, and Jesus is basically appealing to justice. You have no right to strike me is basically what he's saying. Now, at some point when... Um, uh, Jesus is being interviewed by Annas and Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin, which we're gonna we're gonna talk about uh, that as well. But at some point in there, um, there's a there's basically a, a side event that's happening uh, that involves uh, primarily Peter. John is involved as well, so we're gonna look at that um, and understand that it's it's happening. At the same time as some of the other stuff we're going to look at afterwards, but it's just a, a side event that's happening here. So, um, continuing on there in John uh, chapter 18, beginning in verse 15, uh, Simon Peter uh, followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered uh, with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest, but Peter stood outside at the door. Uh, so the other disciples. Uh, so the other disciple who was known to the high priest uh, 
went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. And so there they, they've come into the courtyard. And then I want to jump over to Luke and look at his account. Uh, Luke chapter 22, beginning in verse 55. Luke 22, beginning in verse 55. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in a light, and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another uh, insisted, saying, uh, certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, a rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, Behold, uh, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Now, we don't know exactly the setup here, but apparently at some point Jesus is at a place where there's a you know line of sight between where Jesus is at and the courtyard where, where Peter is at. So um, we see at this point that Jesus actually looks at Peter and, and Peter sees that. Um, why did uh, why did Peter deny knowing Jesus? Well, he could. We can assume mm-hmm. that he could see the mistreatment or tell the mistreatment that was going on and did not want that for himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I mean, he, you know, he'd been very bold before, you know, saying, "I'm, you know, I'm gonna, I, I, I'll, I'll die before I desert you." But, but here, I mean, confronted with uh, the possibility of torture, execution, um, he, he denies him. Um, and you know, uh, fortunately, we have the account later that you know that he's restored, and obviously, uh, well, I mean, what what is what is Peter's response when he sees the way he's behaved here? He went out and wept bitterly. Yeah, yeah. So he he obviously is convicted uh, by his by his own cowardice. Um, but just looking at this situation. Um, what could we take away from this for our own lives? I mean, I think I think this can be very instructive. Um, is there anything that we can we can draw out of this? Uh, I mean, almost daily, for many of us, we are we have opportunities where we could. Speak out, or just speak up mm-hmm. about our faith and about Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's very easy not to. And so that that conviction of being bold mm-hmm. about our faith, about yeah. our Lord, um, versus even whether it be denying or denying by remaining silent, mm-hmm. right? And then yeah, Peter went and wept bitterly about it, and. Are we even affected? Right. By right. Yeah. So, so you got two of the things that I had in my list there, and that's that we can be encouraged to be courageous, to be bold, um, to basically 
avoid the failure that, that Peter uh, fell into. Um, I mean, obviously we're not perfect, just like Peter wasn't, and so we're gonna we're gonna fall at times. Uh, but it's a, when we see another saint fall into sin. I mean, one of the things that that can do is be a reminder to us to really be on our guard to fight against that, and so to be very courageous. And then when we do fall. Um, Look at Peter's example. I mean, he he obviously was very convicted about it. Um, and so just that sense of shame and uh, repentance and wanting to turn away from that behavior. Um, another thing that isn't directly in this passage, but that comes from this event, um, I think that we can draw from this, is, is a sense of comfort. Uh, that, um, that even when we do fail, if we... If we go to Christ, if we look to the cross, that we can be restored. It's not, you know, it by no means is that an excuse to go ahead and sin because, oh, we know we're going to be forgiven, but to know that even when we fail, um, that we can be restored, even as Peter was. So, definitely some, some good things that we can draw from that passage. Well, let's return to what's going on with Jesus. Um, and he's moved over to uh, to Caiaphas. Um, I want to flip over to the Gospel of Mark, um, Mark chapter fourteen, uh, beginning in verse fifty-five. Verse fifty-five. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. Uh, for many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. And some, some stood up and bore false, false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Yet even about this their testimony did not agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst uh, and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is this that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on, spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying to him, Prophesy. And the guards received him with blows. And then in uh, Mark 15, verse 1, uh, as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council, and they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. So here we have the account of his uh, of his trial before Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin. Um, what's what's strange about uh, the fact? I mean, there's probably lots of things, but what, can you can anybody think of something that's strange about the fact that they were seeking testimony against Jesus but finding none? I mean, what should strike us as odd about that? Jesus were a normal man, like any, if Jesus were a normal person, like any one of us, and not you know perfectly God and perfectly man. I mean, 
even the best of us have people that they can find from somewhere that can right. look and say something negative about us. Right. Or bear some sort of grudge against us. Uh-huh. Due to something we've done or not done. Yeah. Yeah, so here's somebody that's like, literally nobody can find anything to say against him, uh, which is, yeah, that's absolutely unique, uh, points to his sinlessness. Anything else? They had already decided he was guilty, but they they had to uphold the burden of the law uh-huh. to be able to prove it. Right, yeah. And they couldn't. Right, yeah. I mean, they've already arrested him, right? It's like, they literally have no charge against the guy, but they've arrested him. It's like... It's almost like they just randomly grabbed a guy that was minding his own business and arrested him. I mean, there was more to it than that, obviously, but it's like, legally, they had no grounds to arrest him. And they're just like, sitting there hunting for some kind of charge, just because they want to get rid of him. So, yeah, it's just, it's just again, just a, a horrible uh, miscarriage of justice. Um, why did the high priest view Jesus' words as blasphemy? He was equating himself with God. Mm-hmm. Is that blasphemy? <laughs> if you were not God, well, if you were God, then... if you were not God, yeah, yeah, that's the thing. It's just like the 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 notion that he actually was speaking the truth was just that was just unacceptable. Um, and so, since obviously he's not God, then well, then that's blasphemy. Um, and of course, uh, at at this point, they're like, okay, now we've now we've got a now we've got a charge, at least for the Jewish law. You know, it's like, okay, we've we've got a charge, and everybody heard it. There's lots of witnesses. Everybody can testify. Yeah, we've heard him speak blasphemy. So, as far as the Jewish law is concerned, now they've decided, yeah, he's he's condemned. He's condemned himself by his own words. Um, so now that they've come to a, a guilty verdict, lots of witnesses of the crime even being committed right in front of them. Uh, why did they send Jesus to Pilate? Because the Jews were under Roman authority and mm-hmm. have, did not have the authority to execute him. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah, the Romans had forbidden the Jews to uh, perform the death penalty themselves. They, you know, they could they could do some punishments within their law, but they couldn't uh, they couldn't execute somebody. So they had to go take him um, to Pilate. Now we're going to jump to another side issue that um, probably uh, didn't even happen exactly at this time. It's something that probably happened beginning here and stretching out, I mean, probably over the next day or so. I don't know. Um, But you remember we had Judas had betrayed uh, Jesus, and he had been with those who had arrested Jesus. Well, apparently he had at least stuck around enough to, to find out how things went in the Sanhedrin. It's over in uh, Matthew 27, uh, beginning in verse 3. It says, Then when Judas, uh, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. They said, What is that to us? See to it yourself. And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed and went and hanged himself. But the chief priest, taking the pieces of silver, said, It is not lawful to put them into the treasury, since it is blood money. So they took counsel 
and bought with him the potter's field as a burial place for strangers. Now, how would you describe Judas's reaction to Jesus' death sentence? Shame. Shame. Going yeah. to right the wrong. Yeah. yeah. He knew that... What's that? Remorse. Remorse, yeah. I mean, he knew that what he had done was, was sinful. Um, there's a sense of even wanting repentance. I'm sorry, say that There's a sense of repentance in one in one sense. Mm-hmm. Now, why are you putting that qualification on there? The, the important element of turning to Christ for mercies is not there, which, as we talked about earlier, Peter has the main difference between them. Right, yeah. Yeah, that's it's not it's not really the genuine repentance that leads to salvation, um, but obviously he was very distraught over that um, and winds up um, committing suicide. Um, how did the uh, how did the chief priests respond to Judas's confession? It's not our problem. Yeah, it's not our problem. What's strange about that? It's so funny that they were so concerned about the money being blood money. Mm-hmm. Here they had entrapped a man. Mm-hmm. They're falsely accused him. They're you know looking for charges because they can't right. do anything wrong with him. Mm-hmm. They're breaking all these laws, you know. Right. Uh, and and just even God's just overall demeanor in the Old Testament about showing mercy and mm-hmm. compassion and all that kind of stuff. And and yet they're nitpicky and worried about blood money. Right. Yeah. It's. It's. I mean, it's. It's the. You know, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Yeah. You know, and sh- like it's such an extreme value. I mean, it's like, who was the blood money paid to? Or who? Or sorry, who who paid the blood money? They did, right? They they're the ones that like they they paid blood money to get somebody killed, and then they're like, oh well, this is blood money, so we can't put it in the temple. You know, it's like, it's it is just really. Um, just shows a, a duplicity in the in the hearts of the of the, um, of the people there, and um, and yeah, and, we're, and we'll we'll see uh, the same inconsistency in the next passage we look at here. Um, so, uh, returning to uh, the the trials of Jesus, um, here the Jews then take Jesus to Pilate. So, going back to John 18 beginning in verse 28. It says, Then they led Jesus uh, from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. Uh, It was uh, early morning, and they themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside and said to them, What accusation do you bring against this man? And they answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. And the Jews said to him, It is not lawful us lawful for us to put anyone to death. So first question is, did the did the chief priests avoid defiling themselves? No. I'm sorry, I didn't hear that. Yeah. No. Yeah, no. It's like, I mean, that's, they're really concerned about avoiding defiling themselves, just like they're concerned about the blood money going in the temple. It's like they're defiling themselves 
all over the place by this miscarriage of justice. But they're concerned about it. Like, oh, we don't want to go into a Gentile's house, so we might defile ourselves. It is really just amazing to see, I mean, just how blinded they must have been, that they were just so set on, we have to murder this guy, um, and but yet we're still going to be these holy people um, that, that don't violate God's law, and just not seeing uh, the, the contradiction. What's the, uh, what's the relationship between Pilate's question in verse 29 and the answer in verse 30? I'll read it again in case you don't have it in front of you. Um, so Pilate's question is, what accusation do you bring against this man? And they answered him, if this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. What had they answered? Had they answered truthfully with the reason they've condemned him? Mm-hmm. Uh, that is so far outside of Roman law mm-hmm. that Pilate would have just released him. Right. Yeah. They they knew they they couldn't just say, oh well, he's guilty of blasphemy. You know, he, they they knew that that wouldn't that, you know that wouldn't work with Pilate. Is there anything else that's really strange about the way they answered? They didn't answer. They did. They didn't answer. What did they do? They just sort of sidestepped the issue and uh-huh. said, well, if he hadn't done something wrong, we wouldn't have brought him. So, right, yeah. You know. And they technically defiled themselves by lying right there. Yeah, uh-huh. absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, they're, they're, uh, they're defiling themselves left and right, except in the, you know, the most outward ceremonial ways. Yeah. Um, but, but, yeah, I mean, they're just they're sidestepping the question. They're, they're basically saying... Well, you shouldn't even ask us. You know, it's like we brought him to you, so obviously he must have done something wrong. Uh, but don't don't bother get you know demanding details here. Um, it is really bizarre to to see that type of response. But obviously, you know they they felt themselves uh, not in a good position to actually present charges that would uh, you know that would accomplish what they wanted. Um, so and then um, and then Pilate responds in verse 31, uh, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. Um, wh- why do you think? Um, what might be the reason that Pilate responded the way that he did? Jews could judge people to a certain extent by mm-hmm. themselves. Yeah. Well, he he might have. You know, we might not have been told. Maybe they answered, you know, in a way such that it had to do with their law, like blasphemy or mm-hmm. something like that. And he wouldn't have seen that as a, a reason to, to try him. It'd be, it's not really yeah. a civil matter. It's right. more of an ecclesiastical matter. Yeah. So it, do, it does seem like he's basically saying, look, unless you can provide some charges that actually apply to Roman law, yeah. then there's no reason for me to even hear what you're saying. You know, I, I can't just like take your word for it that he did something wrong. You you need to bring charges here. I think is is kind of what he's what he's getting at. It's like, look, if you if you got a problem with him, go judge him with your own law. Unless you're going to bring me some charges. I'm going to just briefly look at um, Luke 23 verse two, because um, here is where they actually like are able to come up with some some charges. Uh, in quotes there uh, against Jesus. So Luke uh, 23 verse 2 
and they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. So we've got three uh, accusations here. How would you how would you characterize these accusations? Well, they're all false. Mm-hmm. Um, well, okay. So they, they have the last one is half true, mm-hmm. but um, the misleading our nation is he's fulfilling their nation's prophecies, mm-hmm. uh, forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar. That's a blatant lie. Mm-hmm. Christ actually right. said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Right. Um, and saying that he is Christ, a king, or he called himself Christ, mm-hmm. but he is not trying to displace the Romans to become king of Israel. Right, yeah. And that's what they wanted him to think, right? Yes. When they brought up that third charge, it was like, oh, he's Christ, a king. You know, it's just like he's, he's subverting Roman authority here. Um... But yeah, I mean, the second charge, obviously, it's like they tried to trap him earlier with that second charge, and he avoided the trap. And so, but they're still gonna, they're just gonna throw it out there, um, just like like so many people we see today is, you know, you can you can make the claim and you can trust that most people aren't gonna check out whether what you said is true or not. I mean, we see that um, on television all the time. Um, but. Uh, but yeah, so I mean, they're just they're trying to get something that'll stick, and you know, obviously, number three is that's that's their best bet, right? Um, and that's the one that Pilate actually does take somewhat seriously. So I'm gonna flip back over to the Gospel of John, um, John 18, beginning in verse 33. Um, so Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, "Are you the King of the Jews?" And Jesus answered, Do you say this on your own account, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not of this world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? And after he said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. So here, Pilate has his private interview. Now that he actually has a charge, um, Jesus is claiming to be a king. Um, so if Jesus had answered Pilate's question uh, of whether he was uh, the king of the Jews with a simple yes or no, uh, what would that imply to Pilate? Political rebellion. Political rebellion. Okay, yeah. If he'd said yes, if he'd said yes, it'd be like, oh, yeah, political rebellion, right? I'm going to take over... And take over and kick out the kick out the Romans. What if he said no? Wouldn't have been true right? in one sense. Yeah, yeah. So you look at Jesus's question. It's kind of like he's saying, "Look, what's the context of your question? Um, did somebody else tell you, or is this your own question?" So 
And in a sense, I think like his answer would be yes or no, depending on what it is. It's like, did, well, did somebody else tell you? Did the Jews say, I'm, I'm the king? Then in the, in the sense that they're trying to convey to you, no, I'm not. Um, if you're asking on your own account, then in a sense, yes, I am king of the Jews. Um, so he asked that question, and obviously Pilate's like, well, you know, I'm not, I'm not a Jew. Why, you know, why would I be concerned about this? Um, but then Jesus explains the nature of his kingdom to Pilate. Why does he do that? In a sense, it's he's answering yes, mm-hmm. but it, but giving the explanation of yes, but not in the sense that you are thinking of. Yeah, that's exactly right. He's he's basically he's he's giving his qualified yes. It's like yes. yes, I am king of the Jews, but you need to understand this is not a threat to Rome. This is not a threat to the emperor. Um, this that's not the way my kingdom works. Um. Do you think Pilate genuinely wanted an answer to the question, what is truth? No. It was a question out of Roman philosophy. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, and you look at the text, it looks like he basically just asks the question and turns around before he even gives Jesus an opportunity to even respond. So, yeah, it's, it's basically just a philosophical question looks like, you know, Pilate is just kind of skeptical about even the very notion of truth. Um, but, I mean, at this point, looks like he's not really concerned that Jesus is any kind of threat to Roman authority. Um, and so he goes out and he tells him that. Um, now, based on Pilate's judgment, what should he have done at this point? Set him free. Set him free. That's what he should have done, right? But Pilate's not necessarily the greatest guy, and so uh, he uh, he does not do that. Um, but anyway, so he's basically told him, look, um, he's I, I don't find any guilt in him. There's no issue here. Um, then we want to hop over to Luke chapter 23, beginning in verse 5. Luke 23, beginning in verse 5. But they were urgent, saying, He stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, from Galilee even to this place. And when Pilate heard this, he asked whether the man was a Galilean. And when he heard that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him over to Herod, who was himself in Jerusalem at that time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad, for he had long desired to see him because he had heard about him. Uh, And he was hoping to see some sign done by him. So he questioned him at some length, but he made no answer. The chief priests and the scribes stood by, vehemently accusing him. And Herod, with his soldiers, treated him with contempt and mocked him. Then arraying him in splendid clothing, he sent him back to Pilate. And Herod and Pilate became friends with each other uh, that very day, for before this they had been at enmity with each other. So here, Jesus has a, a little sojourn over to, to see Herod Antipas. Um, what's, uh, what's Herod's motivation for this interview? All right. So part of it is he's, he's just heard about Jesus. He's, he's a man from his mm-hmm. area of rule. He's heard about it. Um, 
cannot remember which Herod. Is this the Herod that put uh, John to death as well? Mm-hmm. Okay. So yep. in some sense, it's John came from his uh, province. Mm-hmm. He he did not want to put John to death. He was tricked mm-hmm. into that. He right. maybe even respected John. Mm-hmm. Jesus and John had been associated together, mm-hmm. uh, um, and so his motivation there could have even been, all right, well, John is gone. Here's this other man mm-hmm. that yeah. we could either learn from or at least talk to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At one point, he even expresses a fear that Jesus is John the Baptist come back from the dead yeah. because he had unjustly put him to death. So definitely very curious about this fellow. Um, does he seem at all concerned about justice or making sure that Jesus gets a fair trial? Or... No. no. Um, and in fact, he and, he and his men just mistreat Jesus and then send him back to Pilate. It is interesting. I, I mean, this isn't real explicit, but it there does seem to be like this underlying idea that that both Herod and Pilate, to some degree, have some some tension with the Jewish people, and aren't just ready to just like do whatever they say, and like have some some they gain some benefit by withholding from the Jews what they want. So I think I think there's probably some of that at play as well is that they they realize they have to appease them at some level but they also like uh, don't want to just give in to them and give them everything they want so Jesus gets sent back sent back to uh, to Pilate um, and then I want to jump over to Mark chapter 15 uh, Mark 15 beginning in verse 6 uh, now at the feast uh, he it's uh, Pilate used to release for them one prisoner uh, for whom they had asked. And among the rebels in prison uh, who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. Uh, And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered answered them saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have him uh, release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with the man you call king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him. So what's the, what's the relationship between um, verses 9 and 10 in this passage? Um, what what did what did Pilate expect when he um, asked if they wanted him to release the king of the Jews? I think he expected him to say yes uh-huh. because he he saw it as um, the chief priest you know was against him but probably the people would be for him right and so that way he could sort of get around the chief priest and and say face with everybody right yeah yeah i mean he says that he he understood that the chief priests they wanted to give him up because they envied him and presumably that was because jesus was very popular with the people and if you look at the events of the of the the week leading up to this i mean there had been the triumphal entry of They'd been shouting Hosanna, and it's like everybody followed Jesus, everybody listened to what he said. It was like he was very popular. Um, and the 
the the chief priests were afraid to arrest him when there was a crowd around because they thought the crowd would turn against them. And so I think, yeah, that's exactly right. That Pilate expected was like, well, the crowd, they're going to say, yeah, release Jesus. We, we want Jesus. Um, but uh, obviously that's not what happened. The, the chief priests were somehow able to stir up the crowd um, to demand Barabbas and to say, crucify Jesus. Of course, I mean, part of this is just God's divine providence, that this is, you know, this was set to happen. This was in God's redemptive plan that this would occur. And um, and so, you know, there was there was no way that Jesus was going to come through this trial and be released, uh, even though uh, there was all sorts of miscarriages of justice for which the people who... Um, who were putting him in this situation were held accountable for. Going back to the Gospel of John again, uh, chapter 19 now, uh, beginning in verse 1, John 19, 1. Uh, then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him, uh, and the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Uh, Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you, uh, that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns uh, and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he made himself the son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, uh, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. So why do you think that Pilate told the Jews to take him and uh, take him themselves and crucify him? That's kind of a strange statement, isn't it? So he didn't have to deal with the implications of getting involved in some sort of what he viewed as some sort of internizing Jewish thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. He he really is like there's nothing there's nothing that the Romans need to worry about with this guy. Mm-hmm. Like basically, again, he's saying I don't want to crucify him. What what would have happened if the Jews had followed his advice? They wouldn't break the law. Yeah, they'd be they'd be in trouble. So it's like he's saying, yeah, just go ahead, go ahead, go ahead and do it, you know. Um, which obviously they're not going to do, but um, you know, and so uh, you know, and this is this is where we see explicitly, the, you know, that like that. Well, I mean, the 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 Jews they just they just couldn't do this. So um, in verse seven, uh, what reason did the chief priests uh, give for Jesus deserving the death penalty? Said he's the son of God. Yeah. So as before, they you know they've been doing something that was very. Very much like we, we need to say something that's going to get him in trouble with the Romans. But now they're being a little more upfront about what they're 
you know what they what they want him killed for. Um, how does Pilate react when he hears this new charge? He's afraid. He's afraid. And so, what does what does he ask Jesus now? Where are you from? Where are you from? Why, why do you think he asked that? I mean, it seems like a real big shift in his in his questioning. Well, unless he was asking, "Are you of this world? Are you right. <laughs> are you a god?" Right. Yeah. I mean, it seems like Pilate is like he's now a little bit concerned. It's like, okay, maybe this is not just some little squabble that's going on. It's like maybe maybe this is something serious, um, and is trying to find out where Jesus is coming from. Um, how would you contrast the state of mind of Pilate versus Jesus at this point in the interview? There's a sense where Jesus is called. Uh-huh. Yeah. I'm sure he's in a lot of pain. I'm yeah. Sure that it's... Yeah, he's, he's already been flogged and had the crown of thorns put on him and been beaten. And, I mean, he's in bad shape physically, but, like, you, you look at his, it's like... Um, he's in complete control. He's completely calm. He knows who has authority and who doesn't and what's going on. What's what's Pilate's state of mind? Now he's kind of like... What's that? Now he's kind of like panicked, I would say. Like, yeah. Like, what's going on here? Yeah. Well, and you brought up the whole authority thing. Like, Pilate's supposed to be the one in authority, but Jesus says you have no authority except what's been given from above. Mm-hmm. The Jews kind of have pressure that they're able to exert on him because he's not doing too great politically right now. and mm-hmm. They're rebellious people and stuff. And he doesn't know where authority is right now. Right, yeah. It's nothing. Yeah. Yeah, he, I mean, in a, in a sense he's asserting his authority, but he's he's scared at this point. Yeah. It's like, what, what have I gotten myself into? You know, is this guy the son of God? Where is he from? Um... And he just doesn't know what to do. And but Jesus, he's just completely calm. He's, this is like this is all going according to plan. Um, and is basically saying to Pilate, "It's like the only authority you have has been granted to you from above. Otherwise, you wouldn't have any authority over me at all." Um, and in a sense, that's Jesus saying, "I have ultimate authority." Um, continuing on. Uh, beginning in verse 12 uh, from then on Pilate sought to release him but the Jews cried out if you release this man you are no uh, you are not Caesar's friend everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar so when Pilate heard these words he brought Jesus out and uh, sat down on the judgment seat the place called the stone pavement and, and in Aramaic Gabbatha uh, now it was the day of preparation of the Passover uh, it was about the uh, sixth hour He said to the Jews, Behold your king. And they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. So what tactic um, are the chief priests using at this point? Are they just trying to persuade Pilate to give a, a guilty verdict? 
or are they pressuring him and basically threatening him with the authorities that are over him? Because it's it's something that it like has happened before this in history that people have complained to the emperor and said, "Hey, this guy that's over us, he's not he's not doing what we should," and the emperor would remove him and put somebody else in charge. So they're kind of threatening Pilate at this point. They're they're past trying to persuade him to give a guilty verdict just by like saying he's guilty, but. It's like, we're threatening you now. Well, and going back to Jesus' statement, you have no authority except that which comes from above. Mm -hmm. From an earthly perspective, that's true also. Mm -hmm. He's been appointed there by the emperor. Mm -hmm. That can be taken away. And and the thing about Pilate is that's all the the further he looks, Mm -hmm. ultimately. Yeah. Yeah. So at this point... um, it's the trial is over. Um, Jesus is going to be crucified, um, and so let's see if in the last few minutes here we can we can cover the crucifixion. Um, continuing on in John, so they took Jesus. Uh, this is yeah. This is actually picking up in the middle of verse 16. Uh, so they took Jesus uh, and he went out uh, bearing his own cross to the place uh, called the place of the skull, which in the Aramaic is called Golgotha. Uh, There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side, and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription, uh, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, uh, and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests and the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write, the king of the Jews, but rather... This man said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. So what's going on with the discussion uh, about this inscription? His accusation is that he is the king of the Jews, mm-hmm. which works for Roman. Mm-hmm. Punishment, yeah, can't have anyone going against Caesar. But the Jews, again, are having one of those qualms of conscience. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, he's not the king of the Jews. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, they they didn't like the message that was that was being presented there. But why does why do you think Pilate refused to to change it for them? Is he on good terms with them at this point? Like he basically was forced to crucify a guy that he doesn't think is guilty, and so he's like, "I'm not doing anything else for you guys. I'm not doing anything else to please you. You got you got what you wanted. That's it. No more." Um, then uh, hopping over to the Gospel of Mark, uh, chapter 15, beginning to verse 29, uh, and those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads, saying, "Ah." Uh, Uh, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priests and the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. And those who were crucified with him also reviled him. So why do you think that Jesus was... uh, treated this way when he'd been crucified. Uh, 
And you think about it from an earthly perspective, if if there were a number of people who thought that he maybe he's the Christ, maybe he's going to kick out the Romans, be a military leader, what's happened to all those plans now? He's hanging helpless on the cross. Yeah. Yeah, it's like obviously this isn't the guy. He he didn't he didn't do what we thought he was going to do. Um, he was just a pretender. Um, obviously, the his religious leaders they they hated him. He was a big problem for them. So they uh, they thought this was a triumph over Jesus. And then hopping over to Matthew, the last passage we're going to look at this morning, Matthew twenty seven, uh, verses forty five through fifty. Uh, now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. Uh, and about the ninth hour Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, uh, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once uh, ran and took a sponge filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, uh, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come and save him. Uh, and Jesus cried out with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Um, how do you think that uh, the people would have reacted to the darkness that's described here? Probably would have been pretty strange, right? I mean, they probably wouldn't be completely unaware of things like this happening, you know, like, I mean, we don't really know what happened, you know, whether it was a solar eclipse or what, but, um, you know, they would have, you know, this is not something that's unknown in the ancient world, but, you know, I imagine they would have thought something serious is going on here. Um, well, and, and for people who are who actually believe there's a God that uh -huh. there's a spiritual... Harder for us in this modern day, it's right. like that. Um, they actually took signs of nature, strange signs of nature, to be important. Yeah, yeah. That that, that some supernatural power is is causing something unusual to happen. So, um, which I mean, ultimately that is the case. You know, is this God is God is causing this to happen? Um, why did Jesus cry out, "My God, My God, why have you forsaken me"? The hand of God's favor has been taken away. I'm sorry? God's favor has been taken away. Right. Yeah. He's bearing the the wrath of God for um, for his people at this point. <coughs> and he's, he's also, Jesus is quoting from Psalm 22, which is a prophetic psalm about this very event. Um, I know we're out of time, and I said that was the last passage, but I, there was one other passage that I forgot I was had here, and I just want to throw this in real quick, so I apologize for going just a little over. I think I started just a little bit late, so it's my excuse. Um, but I'll try to make this quick. So uh, Matthew 27, uh, beginning in verse 51, And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two uh, from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, uh, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. And when the, when the centurion and those who were with him uh, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place. They were filled with awe and said, "Truly, this was the Son of God." So, what's the significance of the curtain? This should be easy. This is, this is something that gets talked about in church a lot. We could 
what separates the holiness from the profane. Jesus is the high priest. He has entered in. Mm -hmm. I mean, technically the ascension hasn't happened yet, but yeah, that's been torn in two. Mm -hmm. People can now go before God by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the the barring of the way into the holiness of God has been taken away by the death of Christ. And so we now have access through Jesus Christ, through his blood, um, into the presence of God. Um, Why were the Roman soldiers filled with awe? It says they were filled with awe when they saw these things. It's not every day you crucify somebody and people come back from the dead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This this was not your your average you know execution. Uh, I'm sure they had executed many people and you know and there's an earthquake and everything. It's like and there's you know things get dark. Um, how did they interpret the signs? The Son of God. Yeah. He he was telling the truth. Yeah. Yeah. Vindication of what Jesus had said. The ultimate vindication is going to come next week when we're going to talk about uh, the resurrection. Uh, but uh, anyway, I apologize for going a little bit over, but um, that is uh, the trial and crucifixion of Jesus. So let's uh, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, God, we just thank you for the, the great salvation that you have accomplished. And Lord, just as we see just your sovereign hand over all of history, um, you're orchestrating the the actions of all these different people and their uh, their warring um, desires and and motivations and um, how in the end it's, it is all uh, taking place exactly as you have uh, laid it out and God it's just such a it's so far beyond what we would have ever even been able to come up with on our own such a a marvelous an amazing plan of salvation. And uh, God, I just pray that we would continue to to meditate on uh, on the great salvation that you have accomplished through the death and resurrection of Christ, that that would be something that would just shape our lives, uh, cause us to, to grow in our love for you. And uh, God, just that you would uh, be with us and glorify yourself in us. We pray in Christ's name.